You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Good afternoon. I'm Jonathan Capehart, opinion writer for The Washington Post. Welcome to Washington Post Live. As the Russian military buildup continues on the border with Ukraine, the world ponders two questions. What will Russian President Vladimir Putin do? And what will the United States and the West do in response? Joining me now is someone who's keeping tabs on the former and preparing for the latter. He is the chair of the powerful Senate Foreign Relations Committee, Senator Robert Menendez of New Jersey. Chairman Menendez, welcome to Washington Post Live. Great to be with you, Jonathan. So on Monday, President Biden met with German Chancellor Olaf Scholz and said that if Russia invades Ukraine, the Nord Stream 2 pipeline would be blocked. Why is that public declaration by the president significant? Well, it's significant in the accompaniment of the German chancellor because this is a pipeline that Putin desperately wants. He has invested a lot of resources in making it happen. Uh, and the loss of it, should there be an invasion uh, by Russia into Ukraine, would be an enormous blow to him. And so uh, it is an opportunity uh, to make Putin think twice about any invasion, among other things that we are seeking to do. And so the president's definitive statement I think is incredibly important. And uh, I had uh, dinner with the German chancellor uh, last night, and I am convinced based upon his statements made there that he is in lockstep with the United States mm. on what we'll do if in fact there is an invasion by Russia. Well, Chairman Menendez, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to mention the fact, well, two things. One, when the president said that uh, at, at their joint press conference on Monday, um, the German chancellor didn't say exactly the same thing as the president. And you had dinner, you and a group of senators had dinner with the German chancellor last night. And I was wondering if the German, if Chancellor Scholz had backed away or put any daylight between the president and himself on that issue of Nord Stream 2. I think, Jonathan, he, he reaffirmed uh, that in fact, uh, he is uh, tied uh, closely to the United States and the West in the responses uh, in terms of sanctions and other activities that Putin will face if, in fact, he invades Ukraine. He went to great lengths, even when he was asked about Nord Stream, uh, to say that we are lockstep uh, with President Biden, the United States, and our Western allies. Uh, so I think that those who had skepticism uh, about it actually uh, walked away from that dinner after hearing him directly and personally and being questioned on it uh, in a way that uh, they are convinced that, in fact, Germany is standing on our side um, should uh, Putin make an enormous mistake and invade Ukraine. One more question on this, uh, Chairman. And I'm just wondering, Going into that dinner, before you had dinner with the German chancellor, did you have concerns or did you think um, that Germany would not be in lockstep with the United States on this issue? Well, it's interesting that you asked that, Jonathan, because uh, when I got to ask my questions of the chancellor, uh, I gave a little historical perspective of what my view of uh, his party, uh, going back to Willy Brandt, uh, and moving consecutively through uh, was one in which it believed itself as the potential bridge, meaning Germany, between Russia and the West. And he rejected 
that view outright, strongly uh, rejected it and said uh, there is no uh, support in Germany for that view of us being the bridge. Uh, we are committed to NATO. We are committed to West, to the West. We are committed to our alliance with the United States. Um, and so uh, I, uh, I think that, uh, you know, I posited that and uh, the question of sanctions in general because there were a series of members, and as I'm negotiating with a ranking member on the Foreign Relations Committee for a significant sanctions and assistance package to Ukraine, I wanted uh, there to be a sense of assurance that Germany is clearly uh, on our side in this regard. Well, Chairman, let's talk about the Defending Ukraine Sovereignty Act, which you introduced in order to impose sanctions on Russia. Talk more about that. Well, uh, this is my original legislation, which I call the mother of all sanctions. And the reason I say that is because sometimes people hear about sanctions against uh, Russia and Putin and they say, oh, but he's had sanctions before and it hasn't worked. These are not the type of sanctions we've had in the past. They would be devastating to the Russian economy. Uh, they would potentially uh, unplug uh, Russian banks from the SWIFT financial trading system, which was the the sanctions that was originally levied against Iran that brought Iran to the negotiating table uh, finally. Um, they are sanctions against Russian sovereign debt. Uh, they are sanctions against its uh, e extracting uh, elements of its economy. Uh, they are sanctions against significant Russian banks. And so those are just some uh, of the elements. Uh, this would be hugely consequential to the economy of Russia. Every Russian would feel it uh, at the end of the day, as well as the assistance that we are providing uh, Ukraine in terms of lethal defensive uh, assistance, which means that Putin will have to calculate how many body bags he's willing to take of Russia's sons returning to Russia as part of his invasion. Chairman Menendez, uh, unless I miss it, I didn't hear you say about sanctions against uh, Vladimir Putin himself. Are those on the table or is that in the offing? Uh, that is on the table as well. Uh, it is another set of sanctions that is on the table. And there's also, uh, uh, we have enlarged in our negotiations with our Republican colleagues uh, to also deal with other elements uh, that are being thought of. For example, some of the actions Russia has already taken in terms of cyber attacks against the Ukrainian government, false flag operations, individuals seeking to destabilize the Ukrainian government from within. Those are all potential uh, sanction options as well up front. There are reports, continued reports, um, that Russia has about or more than 70% of forces needed to invade Ukraine in position at the border. From your vantage point, do you think a Russian invasion of Ukraine is imminent? I think Russia has amassed uh, the wherewithal for an invasion, uh, whether in whole or in part. Uh, and uh, I think that when you see uh, the backup resources that Putin has amassed uh, along the Ukrainian border, uh, from the uh, uh, the Spetsnaz special forces to the hospital tents to the blood uh, transfusions, I mean, all indications would suggest that uh, you know he can invade and, and would be ready to do so. And, and maybe only the freezing of the ground uh, in terms of a time frame uh, might be the element. However, 
it doesn't mean that he will invade. And that's why we applaud all of the efforts that are being made, both by the Biden administration, President Biden has engaged directly with President Putin, uh, as well as our allies who have been visiting uh, Putin and making a clear and unequivocal and united statement. So it's important that each time one of these leaders goes and speaks to Putin, that they say the same thing, even as they seek a diplomatic response, but that they say the same thing about the consequences, because then Putin believes that he has a united front, uh, you know, opposing him. Well, let me go back to the, the, the first question that I asked in the intro. What will Russian President Vladimir Putin do? Listening to the com commentary on television, folks saying, we don't know exactly what he will do. I was at, a, at an embassy dinner Sunday night where this was part of the, the conversation around the table. Learned people around the table who are all, we don't know what he's going to do. Do you have any idea what he's going to do, Vladimir Putin? No, I don't think anyone is inside uh, Vladimir Putin's mind except Vladimir Putin, and he keeps that uh, so. Remember, Vladimir Putin is KGB, uh, and so he's not about to telegraph his plans to the world. But there's clearly two tracks here, Jonathan. It is either an invasion of Ukraine, and I hope that's not it, because he may have felt in 2008 when he invaded Georgia, and then 2014 when he took Crimea, that the West um, was rather weak in its response and he can get away with it. I think that's very different this time. He won't get away with it. Uh, and uh, the other possibility is he has amassed this to be able to get uh, some guarantees in terms of security and other issues that he wants, that he feels he has been unable to obtain from the West uh, by virtue of the, the normal process. And certainly we welcome a conversation and a negotiation uh, that can be an off-ramp to an invasion of Ukraine about security questions uh, in Europe uh, and beyond. Uh, but those actions would have to be reciprocal at the end of the day. But it is possible. And so it's either he's flexing muscle for that purpose to create leverage, or he actually has an intention of some form of an invasion. Have you spoken to President Biden about all this? How are he and his administration uh, handling this growing crisis? Well, I haven't spoken to the president directly. I have spoken to the national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, to the secretary of state, Secretary Blinken and others um, rather intensively as we are devising a congressional response and listening to their own uh, actions that they're taking. In my view, the president uh, has amassed a, a, a global coalition beginning with Europe but also broadening it, which I think is important because Putin is going to care about his position on the world stage. This is not simply about Europe, uh, although in the first instance, it is, it is about Ukraine and Europe, but it's also the rest of the world. Can you violate the international order, change the, the, the map, uh, in this case of Europe, and be able to do so without consequence? And so other countries who are not necessarily European have been voicing their concerns. I think that internationalization is a credit to President Biden. I think the fact that he has sent more uh, defensive assistance to Ukraine since 2014 in one year than any other administration, I think that uh, those are all important elements uh, of making sure that hopefully Putin understands that there's real consequences. You will have devastating economic consequences to yourself, to the Russian economy, and you will have many Russia's sons returned.
Um, I should have asked you this before. When might we see action on the legislation you introduced, the Defending Ukraine Sovereignty Act? Is the hope to get it done before Russia potentially um, takes any action? Certainly, uh, we are in intensive negotiations. I think there are a few items that we are trying to uh, meet the challenge of, of finding a pathway forward to reconcile different views, but we're very close. Uh, and I would love to have the legislation done soon uh, so that, in fact, uh, the message will be uh, clear to uh, President Putin that, in fact, not only is the Biden administration committed to this course of action, not only has he amassed an international coalition, but that the Congress of the United States is speaking with one voice. And on that point, let me just make this crystal clear. There is no uh, light, I think, between Democrats and Republicans on the desire and the need to push back uh, on Vladimir Putin and, and to exact uh, enormous consequences for any miscalculation of an invasion by Putin. The only questions may be some of the specific tactics to do that, but there is bipartisan support to achieve that goal of trying to deter him from doing it. Um, Chairman Menendez, we have a, a question that came in via Twitter that I want to uh, read to you and get your response. The question is, how did Senator Menendez decide upon the specific set of financial institutions and entities in the Defending Ukraine Sovereignty Act? And what does he make of lobbying efforts by Sovcom Bank and Mercury Public Affairs to take its name off the list? Yes, well, whenever you start devising uh, sanctions against whatever entity, in this case, financial institutions, uh, you know, there will be efforts uh, to uh, ultimately undermine those sanctions. I've, I've, as the architect and author of many sanctions in different iterations from Iran to Katza and others, uh, we always have pushback uh, from those who may face the consequences. But my perspective is, is that if you want to act to deter Putin, then the consequences must be real and severe. And some of these financial institutions we're talking about are among Russia's most significant banks and that have been part of uh, playing a role in some of Putin's uh, actions. And so uh, you have to have them uh, in the mix in order for, the, for, for Putin to understand that you're serious in terms of the consequences. And I should have mentioned that the question came from Nick Cleveland Stout. Um, Chairman, Chairman Menendez, I want to ask you, um, since the Olympics are going on, some questions uh, about a uh, question about China. Before the U.S. Olympians departed for Shanghai, Speaker Nancy Pelosi urged the American athletes to not speak out against the Chinese government's Uyghur genocide and the human rights abuses and forced labor, labor camps filled with the ethnic minority Uyghur Muslims as a nation founded on the principle of free speech. Do you agree with the speaker's approach, even though she was giving that, giving that advice uh, because she didn't want to see them get into any trouble with the Chinese? Well, I understand the, the spirit in which the speaker made the comments. So she didn't want to see any of our Olympians hurt by a totalitarian, uh, authoritarian, repressive system. However, I think the, the very essence of America, uh, why it stands out as a beacon to the rest of the world is that we feel free to speak about what we wish, including when we see others violating the human rights of our fellow global citizens. Uh, and I certainly would respect the right of any Olympian to do that. 
and so, you know, I understand the that it was out of an abundance of caution for our Olympians. By the same token, I think powerful statements that are made during the Olympics uh, have uh, a resonance uh, across the globe. Uh, as you know, U.S. diplomats are boycotting the Beijing Olympics, but many are asking if that is enough. Is it time for the United States to sanction China over the Uyghur Muslim genocide? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, it is it is unconscionable that in the 21st century we have concentration camps anywhere in the world and what is happening to the uyghurs ethnic muslims uh in china is uh, outrageous um and it needs the condemnation not just of the united states but of the rest of the world and should be sanctioned i i i i see uh no ability uh, to stand up for human rights and democracy in different corners of the globe if you can stand up for what is happening uh, to the Uyghurs inside of China. So my view is yes. In fact, some of the legislation that passed in the last Congress, uh, at least through the Senate, is now being negotiated out, would do exactly that. And uh, as it relates to uh, both uh, countering China for its human rights violations, as well as competing with China. But I, I think this is an important element. And, and you know, the, the Uyghurs are the most egregious, but you see what's happening in Tibet. Uh, you see what is happening uh, in Hong Kong, the threats to Taiwan. Uh, this is a power that thinks that might makes right. And, and there has to be a consequence for that. We have only a couple of minutes left, and um, so I'm going to ask you, we're going to move into a, a political question. Um, with Build Back Better and voting rights effectively dead in the Senate, what should Democrats' top priorities be for voters as they head into the midterms? Well, I, I hope that neither of them are effectively dead. I do think that I, I heard Republican colleagues say on the Senate floor, well, I'm for this element of voting rights or that element of voting rights. I'd put them to the test uh, because without voting rights, you know, all other rights accrue from that. Uh, with reference to Build Back Better, I think that there are elements of Build Back Better that we should uh, seek to find a pathway forward. I think families need help. Uh, I think that uh, mothers need help as they are trying to get back into work with childcare. I think the challenges, I just held a round table in New Jersey about the challenges of parents uh, and their children falling behind in the context of education during the, the pandemic and how do we meet that challenge. I think that's incredibly important uh, to buttress and make up for the lost learning opportunities. Um, I think that the question of how do we help families in America deal with the rising costs because of the supply chain issues, those mm -hmm. are significant issues that can make a difference in everyday Americans. And I think that's what we should be focused on. Senator Robert Menendez of New Jersey, my home state of New Jersey, chair of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Thank you for coming to Washington Post Live. It's great to have been with you. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.